People want more democracy, not less. It's time to talk progressive politics and practical solutions with Joy Silver. Outspoken from Radio 111. Now, here's Joy. Hello, 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 and thank you for being here on this day, Indigenous Peoples Day 2021. President Biden has proclaimed today, Monday, October the 11th, as Indigenous Peoples Day, and he is the first U.S. president to formally recognize the day, which was called Columbus Day. That Columbus Day, you may or may not know, has been a federal holiday since 1937. And this basically came through the efforts by the Roman Catholic Italian Americans uh, because it happened when Italians were not seen as American. And believe it or not, it edged out Anglo-Saxons who wanted that same day for Leif Erikson. So R-E-S-P-C-E-T, you're going to find out what that means to me through the show today. And I ain't talking about the movie. Now, Indigenous Peoples Day rose as an alternative to Columbus Day because they feel that Christopher Columbus was a sanitization uh, covering up Columbus's actions of enslaving Native Americans, starting colonization, and forcing assimilation. And this led to the death of millions of Native Americans in the Americas and being honored for discovering a place where people already lived. Uh, One of the earliest days of Indigenous Peoples Day took place in Berkeley, California. And Canada has recognized that day since June 21, since 1996. Columbus tops the list of individuals celebrated in public monuments. In the United States, he comes in third with Abraham Lincoln first and Washington second. And the interesting thing about that is that Christopher Columbus never set foot in North America, but uh, he does represent a number three on the statue list. And I would be remiss if I also didn't mention that one of the major issues for Native Americans is uh, the ongoing and disproportionate violence directed at ind- indigenous people, especially women, girls, and trans. Uh, a little positive um, and current uh Power, I think, power to the indigenous people. Two Native American women, Sharice Davids, she's a U.S. representative for Kansas's third congressional district, and Deb Haaland was elected as New Mexico's first congressional district representative. And now Deb Haaland went on to be appointed by our President Joe Biden to serve as Interior Secretary, a department that for much of the nation's history has mistreated and neglected Indigenous Americans. So I want to ask you if you remember these words, uh, you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Yes, if you know who said that, please call 760-677-0111. My show today, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, spotlights people of color changing the game. Two women currently in office on the local level and one male candidate who also happens to be a member of the LGBT community running for U.S. Senate in Utah. (laughs) That's right. I said Utah. So let's start there with Nicholas Mitchell. He was born in Salt Lake City, attended the University of Utah. Mitchell's career experience includes working as a scientist and a business owner. 
and he is running for U.S. Senate for the state of Utah. He says he's running to unite the people and protect the rights of people. Hello, Nicholas, and welcome to Outspoken. Hi, how are you doing? Doing good. I hope you're doing good. You must be running all over the state of Utah. Uh, a little bit, yeah. It's getting started. I'm having my first town hall meeting uh, this month, so it's go- definitely getting started. You're going to do that town hall. Well, that's that's quite an experience, and uh, maybe you'll get back in touch with me and let me know how that went. I'm very interested in this particular race because I understand that Utah has been described as a conservative state, but it's one that fought for the right of rights of immigrants and actually stood up for the LGBTQ community. We know that Mitt Romney represented there, but the district is a solid, safe red. In fact, the last Democrat only received 27% of the vote. Now, I understand that you are African-American and LGBT. Tell me, yep. how do you see your pathway to victory there in the state of Utah? Well, um, it's going to be a long and difficult road. I definitely know that. But uh, my pathway is clear with Evan McMullen jumping in the race as an independent uh, technically independent, but he is definitely a Republican. That should split the vote of the Republican Party. And if I can consolidate and and solidify this Democratic movement that we have flowing through our state right now, it should open up a clear pathway to to winning. So tell me a little bit about that race. If you win the primary 51%, does that mean there has to be a general election or do you just take it? Uh, are you talking like um, if I win fifty? In Utah, there isn't a there isn't a real primary. It mostly gets figured out at the convention stage. Oh, that's right. And Tell us a little bit about how that works in Utah because it's different than other states. You're a convention state, right? Yes. Yeah. Tell us about that. It um, it's just done by convention. It's ranked choice, and so that's basically whoever gets the most number one, the best combined score is the nominee. Okay, and do you have other Democrats vying for that position? Yes, there are two right now. And you feel that you have the best chance? I do. As of right now, I feel like I have the best chance of of winning. So the independent candidate and Mike Lee, who um, is famous for the words, uh, the United States is not a democracy, and we know he's part of the COVID is a hoax gang, that is who you're hoping will split the vote so that it moves you into the to the winner's seat. Is that correct? That's that's correct. The demographics of Utah are overwhelmingly white and Republican. Uh, that uh, it's 86 percent white. So I know yeah. that um, in our conversations earlier, you were brought up in a white family in Salt Lake City. And I know you've experienced racism in a very different way. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, I was adopted by a white LDS family from birth. They, uh, my birth mom got to Salt Lake and had me. And we have a, we have a, we talk, we communicate with, I communicate with both my birth parents. It was an open adoption. And um, the racism, like it, it's uh, it's real. I have a motorcycle that has Black Lives Matters on the back of it. 
Um, and my son used to go on motorcycle rides with me. And that after this, after you, you hear why he doesn't go on with me anymore. Um, we were actually attacked by somebody in a truck. He tried to hit me with this truck several times. Mm. Um, and he knew my son was with me and it, and the only reason why he was coming after me is because it says black lives matter on the back. So racism is alive and well, unfortunately. So you've experienced, I'm assuming the truck driver was white. Would I be right? He was. Okay, and I say that because you've experienced racism from white people. So you've been a, you were adopted mm-hmm. into a white family. You were part of the Mormon church. How mm-hmm. did that work for you, and are you still part of, uh, uh, of the Mormon church? Um, I'm not a part of the Mormon church anymore. Um, I have respect for it. They do good things across the, the world. Uh, they, they have a good message, um, but it's not for me. Um, but growing up in, in that environment led to some very real-life problems and real-life real uh, lessons. Like, I don't like re, uh, returning clothes by myself because I always it always just seems like a little bit more tedious when it's just me versus what I miss somebody say for my family, that's white. And it's, it's hard to see those, those issues. And it, it's, it's across the board, almost in every situation. If I'm by myself, I get treated worse if, if I'm with somebody from, with somebody from my family is with me. And so it, it's unfortunate, but you learn to deal with it. Well, while we're on that subject of racism, um, I understand that you just you've also experienced racism from black people as well. Well, it's more I wouldn't call it racism, but it was like I didn't fit in because I didn't know the culture because I wasn't raised in the culture. And so it was just people having a hard time. It, they expected certain certain behaviors from me, and I I didn't I wouldn't do them because I, it's I just wasn't raised in that type of culture, and so it became a you know a stress a, a stress point I guess you know they would call me whitewashed and things like that, and uh, so it's more about just not growing up a part of the culture that they grew up as grew up in. So the, the, the percentage of uh, African-Americans in Utah, I'm imagining, is pretty low. Do you know what the percentage? It's really low. Yeah, it's pretty I, low. I, yeah, I'm going to go somewhere between 1%, maybe. Wow. 1% to 3%. I'm not sure, though, sir. And how do you feel about, because, you know, politicians and campaigning, I mean, you're out there on the road. How do you feel? Do you feel safe going out and doing your campaigning? Yes, I feel in, insanely safe. Uh, actually, for my for my coming out party, that's what I like to call it, but it was <laughs> where I declared my candidacy for the first time in public, I was at a rodeo in Duchesne County. And I competed in the rodeo. I did uh, bulldogging, which is steer wrestling. So you ride a horse, and then you jump off the horse and try and tackle a cow. Unfortunately, the cow was a lot faster than me, and it... And it uh, <laughs> I didn't get a chance to tackle it. So, um, but that's a very Republican held area. And it was 
uh, I got tears. I mean, I'm not sure if they knew if I was a Democrat or a Republican, but nevertheless, I got cheers, and people came up and talked to me after, and I was able to talk up to them a little, just to a couple people. And so I, I feel safe. Wow, that's incredible. Tell the, the rodeo, I know there's a gay rodeo, uh, but you're mm-hmm. talking about kind of the mainstream rodeo. Is that correct? Yeah, like uh, yeah, like a like a like a, there was uh, cowboy hats everywhere and and horses and people and it was just it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. And so you've got a bit of celebrity among what would normally be seen as a conservative crowd. Would you say? Yeah. Yeah, I would say I would say that that it's a nice segue into being being able to talk to them because I like hey I did rodeo I I learned something that you like and I'm trying to meet you halfway come come meet me and let's talk. Well, stay on with us, uh, please, yeah. Nick. Uh, we are speaking to Nicholas Mitchell. He is running for the U.S. Senate Democratic candidate for the state of Utah. She's fierce. She's bold. She's outspoken. Here's Radio 111's proud progressive, Joy Silver. We're talking to Nicholas Mitchell. He's running for the U.S. Senate for the state of Utah, and he's running to unite the people and protect the rights of people. Uh, We'll also be talking to Mayor Colleen Wallace of Banning, California, Uh, also part of our R-E-S-P-E-C-T show today, and happy Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, Nick, are you you with us? Yes, I am. All right. Uh, I want to get back a little bit into the LDS mission. I understand Mm -hmm. um, that you were, your mission was to the Philippines. How was that for you? It was an experience, to say the least. The people are amazing, and I love them. And they're some of the sweetest people you ever meet on the face of the earth. And at what point did you decide to leave LDS? Uh, when I was twenty-four. And was there was there some event that made you decide this isn't for me anymore? Um, no, just I have I have questions that need answers, and it just seems like I wouldn't be able to get them anywhere like get the answers anywhere so i just uh, you know what it's just not for me wasn't for you all right well let's get back to your campaign um i wanted mm-hmm. to hear from you what your key campaign points are can you tell us about that oh yeah, definitely uh, my key campaign campaign points are climate change workers rights and health care 
Okay. And how do you see um, the climate crisis? What do you think you're going to be able to do about that? What are you advocating for? I'm advocating for more renewable energy sources. Uh, I'm trying. I want to position Utah as one of the leaders in the, in the nation, if not the world, for uh, renewable energies and direct air capture technology, which helps lower the amount of greenhouse gases in the in the air. And uh, Utah's behind that as a state. Do you do you see it? A, you see it as an economic issue as well as a political issue. Yeah, because if we position the rural communities as the leaders in the state. That will bring in bring their economy up and and will enhance their economy, as well as provide good jobs for American workers. Um, and I think it would just be the the best move to do for Utah. All right, uh, I've got one more question for you, and then I'd really like our audience to know how they could get in touch with your campaign and maybe help you out on that campaign trail. How can they reach you, by the way? Uh, they can reach me. My website is uh, nickmitchellforsenate.com, um, and my email is nicholasmitchell at nickmitchellforsenate.com. All right. Or Tell- you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. I reply pretty, pretty readily to uh, messages. I think our, our callers and our listeners are going to have a lot of questions for you, so be watching for the California contingency to be on your social media, Nick. Uh, do you believe, by the way, that it's beneficial for senators to have previous experience in government or politics? No. Actually, that's one of my thing. one of my pet, let's call it pet peeves. It's one of my pet peeves. Um, is that uh, once you know how to game the system, like it, it becomes unfair, and I think there needs to be term limits placed on politi- on all politicians, just not presidents, because the more people we get can get into politics and become more democratic, the better. Instead of having these people, say like a Mitch McConnell or a, or a Nancy Pelosi that have been in there for decades, and and. They know how to game the system. They play these. They don't do what's for the American people, but they do what's best for themselves. And so what do you think qualifies you? What experience do you have that would put you in a leadership position for the state of Utah and ultimately for the United States of America? As a scientist, we follow the data, and we can't really ignore data because that's just bad. It just is it, it, it's bad because you just don't do it. And so with that, I can analyze what it needs to be done fairly readily by following the data. And um, that's, and I think of unique solutions. I have a tattooing company that I'm, I'm growing right now. Well, I'm working on getting the patents for this first before I start growing it. And it's for, right now, I, um, I fixed a lot of the problems that people were experiencing with tattooing. A science. What's your field of science, by the way? Uh, I do a little bit of everything, but as of right now, my strongest is chemistry. Um, I didn't graduate from from school yet. I'm going to eventually, but I'm going to. Uh, uh, the, I'm really good at chemistry. I was going into chemical engineering. Chemical engineering. So you're following the data, and that's an important thing to do, especially in this time where it's hard to distinguish the lies from the truth. And 
that's what you're dedicated to, I would imagine. Would I be right in assuming that? That is absolutely correct. That is what my life is about. Well, we've been talking to Nick Mitchell. He's running for U.S. Senate for the state of Utah. He's black, he's gay, and he's running for state Senate. He's running for U.S. Senate in the state of Utah. Thank you so much. Coming up will be Mayor Colleen Wallace from Banning, California. This is Joy Silver, and you're listening to Outspoken. Turning back the ugly wave of hate that seeks to divide. Joy Silver is Outspoken on Radio 111. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. You're finding out what that means to me, and it is not a discussion about the film, at least not today. Um, I did say uh, we've had very fine people on both sides. Um, we haven't heard anybody come up with the right answer yet. But uh, you can reach us at 760-677-0111. I can, think we can safely say that given what our experience has been over the past almost five years, that the United States certainly is at war with itself. And today, respect... R-E-S-P-E-C-T, has been spotlighting people of color who are changing the game. Uh, Two women currently in the office on the local level, and we heard from Nicholas Mitchell, who was and is running for U.S. Senator for the state of Utah. But right here in the Coachella Valley, um, I'm happy to say that we'll be speaking to Councilwoman Jan Pye of Desert Hot Springs. Um, Jan, Councilwoman Pye, are you there? I am. Thank you so much for coming on board today. Um, I've got some questions for you. Um, Last week, our guest was Carlos Garcia of the Drive for Five of Palm Desert, and he was explaining to us that Palm Desert had been separated into just two districts with four council members living in one area. And it is not that way in every city, and certainly not in Desert Hot Springs. Um, let me tell the uh, let me tell our listeners a little bit about you. Uh, you were appointed and then elected in 2009, and you are also the chair of Palm Springs Cemetery District, vice chair of the Regional Access Project, a member of Desert Hot Springs Women's Club, Desert Hot Springs Elks Lodge, Desert Hot Springs Senior Center Advisory Committee, and Desert Hot Springs Homeless Committee. Jan. I'm really sad. You are one busy woman, and I'm really thrilled to have you here today. Thank you. Tell us about how the um, city council operates in Desert Hot Springs differently, certainly, than Palm Desert. Well, one, we're... I guess we're waiting for 40,000 constituents before we go into districts. But so for right now, we, uh, all five of us, operate for the entire community. 
So you were voted at large by all of the residents of Desert Hot Springs at this point? Yes. Okay. And how does it how does Desert Hot Springs choose its mayor? It chooses its mayor the same way. The mayor is uh goes on the ballot and the mayor is chosen by the constituency. Okay. And why did you get involved in politics? Well, actually I got involved by trying to be on the Public Safety uh, Commission because I thought someone that looked like me should be on the Public Safety Commission. However, the city clerk called me the night before and told me I was up for council. Um, I didn't know anything about council, but I chose chose to run anyway, um, and I got on, and that's how I got involved in politics. And what was the deciding moment for you? Well, the deciding moment was I called um, my mother, and I told her I know nothing about birthing babies like this. (laughs) And she said to me, God doesn't give you anything you can't handle. So that was the deciding point for me to go ahead and apply. I see. That's that's a great story. Um, are you? Um, do you originally come from Desert Hot Springs, or did you move to Desert Hot Springs? I moved to Desert Hot Springs from Los Angeles, and the reason why I moved was because of my daughter. I could not, would not keep her in the school district of L.A., and I was running. If I continued as I was doing, I wouldn't be able to afford to put her in private school. So I had a choice between Coachella Valley or Sacramento, so far as jobs were concerned. And I chose Coachella Valley, and that's how I ended up in Desert Hot Springs. And what year was that? That was around 94. 94. So you've been here a significant amount of time. Yes. What do you see as uh, some of the greatest issues happening uh, in Desert Hot Springs? The greatest issue is what we we are doing. Um, We are, I guess in a way you can say, we're cleaning up. Um, We had a council person that said in order to invite people, we have to clean up. Um, So we have stopped... um, Graffiti is not prevalent in in our city. Um, We've uh, increased our streets. Uh, We've become uh, more business-friendly for developers, which is showing um, by the uh, vendors that are coming in. So basically, we've improved our our city. Uh, We once were were called... um, Desperate hot springs. Desperate we're hot, no longer, desperate we're hot not, springs? <laughs> we're not called that anymore. Uh-huh. Um, so we're talking to Councilwoman Jan Pye of Desert Hot Springs. She is a city councilwoman, and she's talking about Desert Hot Springs in the Coachella Valley here in California. Um, let me ask you this, Councilwoman. Um, has being a woman or a woman of color, has it had an effect on your political campaign? I would say no, uh, especially not for me. Um, I once 
participated in it, and I still believe that's true. I have uh, seen Martin Luther King's dream, where my child can be equal to anyone. But I'm outspoken also, politely, but uh, if someone approaches me wrong, which has not happened in uh, Desert Hot Springs, I will speak up. Um, And uh, at a recent conference that we attended, a lady came over and told me that she likes me because I'm honest. So I really haven't had um, to worry about whether or not I'm a woman or whether or not I'm black. I just have to make sure that I keep my mind in tune and pay attention. What do you feel that your greatest achievement so far on city council is at, in your position as a city councilwoman? One is the fact that I pay attention. And when I first got on the council, there were no register of demands. However, it was on the agenda. So I just asked the question, either we do the register of demands or we take it off of the agenda. We got the register of demands on there. Can you tell us, uh, can tell our listeners what a register of demands is? A register of demand is uh, checks that have been written by staff that the council approves. Um, and those re- the register of demands have to be put in the right position so far as the categories are concerned. But if you never see them, mm. you don't know what's happening with the finances. You don't know if you're in the red or if you're in the black. Well, so you keep your eye on the money, and uh, that's an important thing, especially in government, right? Yes. Um, another thing, when we decided to do uh, cannabis, I was instrumental in putting 25% of the taxes into a reserve account. At that point, we were almost going into bankruptcy. Hmm. And so we had to figure out what to do. And for me, that was watching the money. That was a great, um, a great journey to put 25% into reserves, which is good because we have built, have been building those reserves over time. And that and other things uh, we do as a council can keep us out of bankruptcy. Do you see cannabis as um, good for Desert Hot Springs? I will say that it has been good. Um, Will it always be? I don't know. Um, Federal government, um, cigarette companies will want to come in. The state will want to come in. The situation is, is the cannabis industry ready for that? Uh-huh. Do they have a business plan that's ready for that? So I, the unknowns, I don't know. And so I, yes, it has been. Will it forever be? It depends. 
Uh, well, I'd, I have one last uh, item for you because we are talking about uh, some of the things that you're for looking at as far as the future of uh, Desert Hot Springs, or DHS as they call it, right? Desert Hot Springs. Mm-hmm. What are you hoping to achieve for the future for Desert Hot Springs? Well, I would like for us to become the Sedona of of California, of the Coachella Valley. And I think with our spas and our views, we can do that. And we're starting to do that by cleaning up. Um, But that's uh, what I think uh, we can do. Um, Future for me, myself, uh, my term ends uh, next year, and I don't plan to... um, commit to another election another city council election or will you seek uh, correct will you seek other office no i won't and so you've decided you're you're done being representative in that form yes and what made you come to that decision i'm getting old (laughs) (laughs) i'm serious that's the main decision Uh uh-huh you have so you have a different vision of your own future then at that moment in time yes Okay. And it, technically, I'm supposed to be retired, uh, but I'm not. You mean now? Yeah, I'm retired now. Well, this is what you do while you're retired. My goodness, you're making big changes. And and you have a vision for Desert Hot Springs, and it's actually the first time I've heard of that vision. So I'm really happy that we got to speak to you. And I, I want to re- appreciate that you came on, and you're involved in so many things in Desert Hot Springs. And uh, I just want to say thank you, Councilwoman Jan Pye of Desert Hot Springs. Thank you, Joy. All right. We've been talking to Councilwoman Jan Pye of Desert Hot Springs. Uh, she came on today from her busy schedule here on Outspoken. Aha, I've gotten an answer. And the message is, Donald Trump said there are good people on both sides after Charlottesville. And that's from Virginia in Palm Desert. You win 25 useless points. Thank you so much. This is Joy Silver, Radio 111 outspoken. has a voice and she's not afraid to use it radio 111 presents outspoken with joy silver now here's joy r-e-s-p-e-c-t you're finding out what that means to me thank you for being here on this day indigenous people's day 2021 and virginia of palm desert was our winner of the 25 useless points 
I do have to give a nod out to Cindy Barone, who will be with us next week, and we'll talk about that in a minute for that particular prize. She was the one who offered those 25 points. Our next guest today is Mayor Colleen Wallace of Banning. Uh, Mayor Colleen was elected to City Council District 5 in 2018, and her term ends in December 2022. She's a fourth-generation Banning resident. Welcome, Mayor. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. I know you are insanely busy. Thank you, Miss Silver. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. We've got to catch up with each other in person now that COVID has got, at least we've got the vaccine, don't we? Yes, ma'am. Yes, we do. Let me ask you something. How does the city of Banning choose its mayor? So we choose our mayor among the city council members. That's how we uh, vote on who we want or you can nominate yourself. We're not a city elected mayor government. We, We elect amongst the city council members. All right. So you were the one chosen by your peers. Yes, ma'am. Well, I love that because I remember in Women Honoring Women, you were a rising star, and sure enough, you're now mayor. Thank you. Yes, I am. You've said that your family has been in Banning for four generations. Uh, Where did they come from before that? Uh, My great-grandmother came from Louisiana, and my great-grandfather came from Texas. And they got here four generations ago. Yes. They, well, they moved to Indio. From Indio, uh, they came to Banning in like 40, early 40s. Mm-hmm. Yes. So while, why did you get involved in politics? And what made you well, decide to run? So what made me decide to run, I used to always, uh, when I lived out of town, I would call my mom if I was down, what's going on in Banning? And she would say, you know, oh, well, it's about the same. And then I started coming frequently down here, and I kept start seeing how on our side of town was deteriorating. So I'm like, man, if I ever retire, I'm going to run for city council. And then I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do that. And then I'm like, yes, I am. And I kept coming. I kept seeing how the east side of town wasn't getting any better. And I said, I'm going to run for my city. And that's what I decided Never been in politics in my life, but I ran for the people. That's why I ran for city council. That's Mayor Colleen Wallace of Banning for the people. How, what do you yeah. feel has been your greatest achievement so far as mayor? So far, um, just helping people. I, I love helping people. That's That's been my greatest achievement. Um, I'm not out for the glory of the fame. I'm just out here to help my community to grow. That's, that's my thing. And what do you hope to achieve for the future of Banning? Well, what I hope to achieve for the future of Banning, because our youth, our youth are important. They're our future. We'll be dead and gone, and we want to make sure that the city is stable for our youth so that they can carry on their future with their kids, their grandkids, their great-grand. So my, my, my future is working make sure that the youth know what's going on in government. Now, do you feel that being a woman or a woman of color has an, has had an effect on your political campaign? Mm, you know, it's kind of, sort of, not really, because I'm such a people person. I get along with everybody. <laughs> but um, as far as, as a woman of color... Yes, it, it has had some, some, some drawbacks. You know, you have people out there 
oh, because of the color of my skin. But I don't let that bother me. I keep pushing on, and I believe in God, so God has my back. Oh, my God. All right. So, and will you remain in politics, uh, Mayor Wallace? Will you seek a further political position when your term has come to the end? Yes, I will. I'm going to rerun for city council. Oh, my goodness. Well, you let me know so I can be part of that campaign. Oh, you know you will, Miss Joy. You know you will. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We've been talking to Mayor Colleen Wallace of Banning. She was elected to City Council District in 2018, and her term ends in December. When is that next um, election? Is next year, December, uh, well, November 2022. And you'll be running then. Yes, ma'am. All right. Well, thank you so very much for being here with us today. I know you're a busy woman, and I hope to see you soon in the future. Yes, ma'am. I hope so. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you, Ms. Joy. Well, we've been talking to Mayor Colleen Wallace of Banning. She was elected to City Council District 5, and we also had the pleasure of speaking to Councilwoman Jan Pye and Nicholas Mitchell, who was running for U.S. Senator in the state of Utah. Thank you very much for being here today. I appreciate that. And in the future, on the 18th, we'll be speaking to Lizzie Borden and Cindy Barone, formerly of Lizzie Borden and the Axes, to talk about gender and rock and roll, changing the face of women in power through music on our show called Pretty Good for Girls. This is Joy Silver, and this is Outspoken on Radio 111.